Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Ready to do something different? Join David Pelegi this August as he embarks on an in-depth study tour of Poland, once home to a vibrant Jewish community that flourished for almost a thousand years. Visit beautiful medieval cities, castles, synagogues, churches, and abandoned cemeteries, from Warsaw to Bialystok, and from Lublin to Krakow, to better understand the Polish-Jewish experience and the ways that Poles and Jews have deeply influenced each other. Come wrestle with the traumatic events of two world wars and the Nazis' final solution, and consider how and why so many ordinary Germans became willing accomplices in the murder of Poland's three million Jews. We will also discuss the existence of Hebrew Christian communities that were emerging before the war, and the contours of modern Jewish messianism, from Shabbatai Zvi to Theodore Herzl. This study tour is designed to help us better our prayer life, sharpen our stand against anti-Semitism, and hopefully give us more courage to be faithful witnesses as Christians in our opposition against the idolatry and deceptions of our day. Join David August 6th through 17th, 2022 for this walk through history. Land cost is 1,749 euros, less than 1,900 U.S. dollars. For details and to register, visit narrowbridgetour.com. Narrowbridgetour.com. Good evening, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our study on Leviticus. We are in chapter 20, uh, after having spent quite a bit of time in the, in the highlight of the text, chapter 19, and uh, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit himself is present and amongst us, uniting us together across time and space, but also uh, uniting us as a family. And so it's great to see everybody again. Let's acknowledge the Lord's presence. Let's acknowledge his desire to dwell with us and let's endeavor to be better disciples. David, would you pray us in? Sovereign Father in heaven, almighty God, Abba, we praise and glorify and exalt your holy, holy, holy name. Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege that we have, Father, of coming together in fellowship to, to learn your word, to discuss your word, to hear your word, Father. Abba, you tell us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by your word, Father. We ask you, Father, to let us hear your word tonight, that our faith may increase, Father. We ask you to open the eyes of our hearts to understand what you're telling us, Father. We ask you, Father, to allow us to go away tonight, Lord, changed and knowing you on a deeper level, Father, that we might grow more in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we ask you to anoint and refresh Aaron tonight as he brings your word. We ask you, Lord, to speak through him, Lord, that his mouth open and you fill his mouth with your words, Father, and refresh him and strengthen him, Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, as is our tradition, we read the summary from last week's discussion, uh, which is printed or it's attached into the chat box. It's also online for those that are 
uh, able to download the podcast. So uh, this is a summary of five of the first five verses. For the modern follower of Jesus, this chapter can be challenging and troubling. Severe punishments, particularly the death penalty, can challenge our sense of modern moral justice. And actually, that's exactly the point. Can we superimpose our modern-day morality back into the past? And the answer to that question is actually no. The modern student of the Bible might ask whether the dishonouring of one's parents really deserves the death penalty, but that decision is not for him to make at all. Modern law codes are an expression of contemporary social norms and they are shaped by historical circumstances of that particular nation. Ancient Israel was not alone in the use and practice of the death penalty. All of the surrounding nations had very similar strict judicial laws. And in the mind of the ancient cultures and nations, the death penalty was enforced on those sins which were felt to be the most threatening to their way of life, social order, and stability. That is, if the, if the society felt that something was threatening the very fabric of their nation, then they would initiate a death penalty for those that broke it. And in today's society, we might think that was a little harsh. But back then, that was a, that was a defensive measure for their community. And the Jewish people were called to be a holy people. And thus, those sins which were seen as endangering the holy fabric of Israel were treated with strict justice, the offender being removed either through excommunication or permanently through death. So after the initial reading of the chapter... Much of our discussion was centered around the distinguishing of clean and unclean and how that applies to our modern walk of faith with the Lord. It's a sad reflection on the modern world where we can no longer distinguish wrong from right, pure and impure, and for the church to no longer be able to distinguish sin. Without being able to say what sin is, and we cannot offer the good news to a sinner of a saviour, to redeem us from that sin. Discerning the sacred from the profane remains one of the central callings of the people of Israel and it follows into the new covenant with the commonwealth of Israel, both Jews and Gentiles still called to be a holy people. The call to be holy implies that we know the difference between what is holy and what is not. And this begs the question then, how can we be holy? Is that not beyond the human condition? Verse 8 reminds us that we can be holy because God himself will help us. Holiness is a valid calling, and it is not beyond our ability or reach. In verse 1, God speaks to Israel and addresses both the native Israelite and the stranger who resides in the land. Who are these strangers that the Lord speaks to? According to Jewish tradition, there are three types of people called ger in the Bible. Israel is called a stranger in Egypt. Abraham is called a ger. And thus we can see that the term stranger can definitely refer to Jews. Gentiles that live within the Jewish community can be called stranger. 
and the Gentile who converts can also be called a stranger. As the verb to convert to Hebrew, uh, to convert in Hebrew, uses the root, or the shorish, of ger. The word stranger is ger, and the verb to convert to Judaism is lehit gayer. Can you see that the, the shorish ger is in the verb? So people who convert are also called the gering. There are lots of different meanings for the, the term here. The first acute threat to the moral and holy fabric of Israel was the worship of Molech. Who or what is Molech? And why is he singled out from amongst all the other pantheon? There is a plethora of commentary on the identity of Molech and his relationship to ancient Israel. And if you want to dig in deep, you can even go and find out how, uh, how you would worship him, which involved heating up a statue of him that had hands out raised until it was really, 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 really hot and then put a kid on it. Isn't that horrible? Anyway, so maybe I don't recommend you go read up about it. But anyway, um, but there's a lot of commentary on this guy and how he relates to, to Israel. Now, most likely, Molech was a fertility god of the Canaanite peoples. Fertility gods were in high demand in Canaan due to the scarcity of rainfall and the lack of a major river system for agriculture and food security. So worshipping Molech, so fertility gods ended up being very, very important in, in their pantheons. Worshipping Molech involved the abhorred practice of child abuse and sacrifice. Unfortunately, we note in the sacred history of Israel that the continued dependency on rain led the Israelite monarchy to embrace worship of Molech as part of their religious tradition, and that including the wise King Solomon. The penalty for worshipping Molech was execution by stoning. Now, the members of the community would enforce the punishment. This demonstrated in a very visual and a very powerful way that the sin of child sacrifice against the community was punished by the very same community that it was offending. To ignore such a great evil was also a great evil. Thus, to tolerate Molech, was a threat to the nation. Those who turned a blind eye, even if they did not participate in the worship of Molech, were held accountable. God himself participated in punishment of those who tolerated evil by setting his face against them. God would prosecute the case against the idolater if the people of Israel did not. Toleration of sin and evil is referred to in the Revelation to John. One of the criticisms that Jesus has against the church in the opening chapters is its tolerance of Jezebel, a pagan queen in antiquity who led Israel astray. Unfortunately, despite warnings not to do this in both the Hebrew and the Greek Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, but Hebrew Bible, Greek Bible, we continue to tolerate sin and are silenced into not declaring sin to actually B, sin. We should note that just because we call out a sinful activity to be sinful does not imply that we now hate the sinner. But that is the charge that leads to our silence much of the time. We are condemned into silence and inactivity as judges, but we are not judging. Instead, we're actually telling the truth. 
Our call to holiness includes the activity of discernment. It's a gift of the spirit. As the people of God, we do not call out evil with a judging spirit, but we continue to distinguish the sacred from the profane with a humble, truthful spirit. And we invite people to join us in a life of holiness with the blessing that God himself will dwell in and amongst his holy people. And with that, we continue to study Leviticus chapter 20 and the call to be holy. Hope that was a pretty good uh, summary of our discussion. I thought it was a very interesting one last week. Now, um, because we didn't get through that all that many verses, I took one look at chapter 20 and went, oh, my gosh, really? Do I have to read, read all of these sexual sins again? As like, no, I think, I think you all got it from last week. It's pretty bad. So how about we actually just wrestle with the text as it comes, right, as opposed to doing a summary? We, we did that last week. Okay. So let's pick it up from verse 6. I'll read a couple of verses, and then we'll wrestle with those and then sort of move on. So in verse 6, we'll go down to um, verse 9, okay? If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. All right. Okay, guys. So what do we see in the, in the call to be a holy people what, in these verses? Forbidden knowledge. There's this, there's this uh, uh, desire amongst us, even to this day, to seek forbidden knowledge. Now. So that's the next question. Why do we seek forbidden knowledge? What do you think it is, guys, that's within us that we just have, just have to know? Any idea? Hi, everyone. Nice to see you all again. <laughs> hey, Sean. It, it's, um, I find it very interesting because I just was reading the story of Saul again the other day, just in my normal quiet time. And it's yep. interesting because the Lord would not talk to him and not answer him about what was going to happen upcoming that he went to this, this spiritist and called up the, the spirit of, of Samuel. So number one, I think it's possible. Number two, uh, I think it's tempting. If you're not going to go to God, what other way are you going to find out about your life? Eh? Yeah. Mm. That was, um, that's a, a, a good point. We, there's a, a classic example of looking after mediums and necromancers with the witch of Eindor. So the warning is true. There is a power. Um, and it is forbidden to us. But what is it about us? Um, yeah, Andrew puts it in the comment. The forbidden fruit was apparently rather tempting. Absolutely. That's uh, uh, true. A lot of what we, is classified as forbidden seems to be tempting. But my question is, why is it? What is it about forbidden knowledge that's so tempting? Okay, a couple of hands raised there. Let's start with, uh, oh, it's Great Britain that's speaking. So let's do uh, the English, David Ovida Butterfield. It's me, Aaron, sorry. Uh, not so much as why are we so tempted by forbidden stuff. I mean, that's, for me, that's totally fallen nature stuff that attract, is so attractive. But uh, my question is about on seven, sanctify yourselves, therefore. Uh, 
and I, I'm, I want to apply this to then and now. To sanctify yourself is to set to set apart, right? Yes. Now, do we? Do they have to set themselves apart, or and and today in Lord Jesus, do we have to set ourselves apart? And then, where is our dividing line? Where we're setting ourselves apart from what we regard as profane or unholy. And back then, I mean, I, you know, the Lord God called Israel out to be a separate nation sanctified unto himself. And yet, here, here the word is sanctify yourselves, right? Yes. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think we have to take time, don't you? Like, you have to do it. You have to do your part in the equation. So, so uh, let me just so I can write down the question that we're discussing. David, are you asking how do we sanctify ourselves? Yeah, how do we do it? I know we do it through the Holy Spirit, but but it's our is it our responsibility to sanctify ourselves, or do we regard ourselves as already sanctified by having the Holy Spirit dwell in us and the work of Christ did. and the work of Lord Jesus for us? The same as back then. How do they set themselves apart to be sanctified? Do they have to do the sacrifice, or has the Lord God already allowed them to be sanctified? Okay, I, there's a lot of questions there. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. No, 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 that's how we discuss. Um, uh, I, I, Shimshon's got his hand raised there. Do you have a comment on this one, uh, making ourselves holy? Because if you do, it like yes. to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, shalom, everyone. Shalom, Shimshon. You can see that in, in uh, that, that um, phrase keep on appearing um, since last week when we started, um, I'm the Lord that sanctifies you, I'm the Lord that sanctifies you. But if you look at it, especially reading from the beginning uh, of chapter 19 towards chapter 20, you see that God is actually saying that I'm the Lord that sanctifies you, I sanctify you and you have to keep that sanctity by doing these things. So there yeah. is a role for God that sanctifies us and makes us holy, good. Then we need to continue with this holiness code so that we remain in that sanctity. Because if we just live our life the way we want, we will not remain in that sanctity. So there is a place where God helps us to become holy, but we need to be um, separate to maintain that um, holiness. And, and so to, to, to apply that question today, if we, uh, Shimshon, thank you. I love your answer. If, if we apply yes. the situation to today uh, to sanctify ourselves, we come, we confess our sins, and we are forgiven of and cleansed of all unrighteousness, etc. Do we see that as us keeping that sanctification? Um, that is actually just, um, just um, appropriating the sanctification that God makes us holy. Because we don't do anything there. You just come, you confess, and you believe. And so he's, he's done it for you. He's gone to the cross for you. He's done all the um, rituals for you. Then you just appropriate it then. But now after getting that, you cannot just live your life the way you used to. You know, you have to now submit yourself to this code so that you can maintain what he has done for you. I was just thinking, Shimshon, that it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thin line that because we, we border on faith over on works. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, of course, you know, from James, we can know because James speaks about a lot about this chapter. From James, you see that um, James is saying that um, faith without works is dead. And um, when you go to the faith chapter in Hebrews 11, and you see that it's actually speaking about the activity of people and referring to it as faith. 
It's not um, speaking about their thoughts. It was actually speaking about the activity. He said, by this, the elders um, obtain um, this and that. So there is no, there needs to be some work. I know generally we try to say that um, you don't need to do anything. Christ has done it all for you. It's, it's a very, very um, popular cliche in the, in the Christendom. But the problem with that is that um, when you tell people to give their life, the fact that they give their life to God is already doing. You, you, you need to give your life to obtain salvation. You cannot obtain salvation without giving your life. So that is a doing that comes in there. Um, I used to use this, um, this encounter with um, Nicodemus when Nicodemus came to Yeshua in um, John chapter 3. He says that what must I do to, you know, to obtain eternal life? And Jesus didn't say you didn't need to do anything. He says, he, he says you must be born again. That, that means being born again is an action. There's some things you need to do. The same encounter with the rich young ruler it says, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus says, you know the Torah, go keep it. I mean, there is a doing, so go, go, go keep the Torah. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, oh, don't worry, I've dealt with it, and um, you don't need to do it. Exactly. Could I add one small thing? For me, I'm hearing what you say, but I really struggle how much of this is works, because for me, it has to be the Holy Spirit in us that is doing it, because I get a new heart now. And that new heart that the Lord gives me hates evil. And I, whenever I do evil, I may, let's say, for example, I'm prone to lying. If I lie and I, I see myself doing it, I come, oh, Lord, I've done it again. Please help me not to do it. I, in my own strength, cannot stop that. I cannot sanctify myself. But my heart yes. is crying out to the Lord to stop me from doing it. And because my heart is doing that and I hate it, I find perhaps over short a week or, or maybe months, it actually stops because of the, 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 the Holy Spirit now, we walk in the Spirit, which is we putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay. Um, can I make a few comments here? I think the idea of being holy, where that comes from and how you walk it out, is a partnership. Just like uh, I, I mentioned in, in the sermon, it's like, God makes the Sabbath holy, but how do you keep the Sabbath holy? So it's, it's a partnership. God starts it. Not saying he doesn't, he does. But there's human participation. God's name is holy. Not saying it's not. It is. But it's human participation in keeping the name holy because we have the opportunity to make it not holy. So there's this, there's this incredible partnership. And part of that partnership involves the very literal presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Absolutely. Part of that partnership involves God giving you his words. And this is what I like. And this is what I don't like. This is what I need you to do as a holy people. This is what I don't need you to do as a holy people. And I, and I see that that is a, not works righteousness. That's the thing. It's obedience. And there's a big difference between those two. They both come from a different place. They might look the same. That's the problem. Many times when we talk, we use the same language of doing and obeying and, and following and <clears throat> and all of that is true uh remember what jesus says never tell anybody not to do a commandment right matthew chapter five just don't now, there's the one thing you cannot do is walk up to someone and say don't do anything that god says um very dangerous place not even the least correct thanks yes absolutely not even the least at the same time we also know 
that that is not what earns your salvation. Why? Because you're already saved. That's the finished work of Jesus. Christ died for me while I was a sinner, not while I was obedient. But now that I have got the Holy Spirit, he can lead me into, the, into being a holy person, a, a holy people, not an individual. This is partnerships, also community. And, um, and I really appreciate uh, some of the learning I've done with David Pelleggi in my 22 years here is that he constantly reminds me that we are a community. It's about, it's, it's all of us doing this together. Um, so I think it's, it's a partnership. Um, it's the Lord's work with our obedience. And, and, and that's why you see some, some verses that seem to contradict each other, but they're not. The Holy Spirit is a gift? Absolutely. At the same time, Acts chapter 5 says the Spirit is given to those who obey. There you go. Um, uh, Acts chapter 5, 23 or something like that. Those that might want to look at it. All right, we've got um, Scotland. Um, Kate, you had a hand raised? I did, but it's going back to the six, which you asked about. Um, necromancy and... Uh, okay, go for it. Let's go, let's, go, let's go back to witches and warlocks. Always you fun. want to go back to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I find that so interesting because we know that we are spiritual beings and that we have... Some people have gifts where they can speak with spirit. We know that God speaks to us. This is the spiritual life that we have. But the reason... Is the reason that we don't are told not to do this to go back through mediums is because um that curiosity curiosity that we we are showing because really what we want to do is to know what's going to happen let's be honest we want to know the future we want to know what we should do now based on what we think is going to happen it's like not trusting in god um but when we do that if we open that door we're opening the door because it's just a thin, it's just a thin line between heaven and earth. And the devil will be watching for this. Surely he'd be watching for these little gaps to appear. And it's a great place for him to, to wade in and, and, and join in with our thoughts and pretend, you know, that he's giving us answers in, in the name of the Lord. Um, because that realm that we're, we're trying to read and trying to, to get a, a door through to, it's it, we don't understand it. We we only understand it through the word of God and through what we're told in 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 the Bible. And there is a thin line between heaven and us, and we're close to it. But there's a thin line between us and the evil one as well. And he will take advantage of that. Is that that's my thought on that? Because we're all, we've all been tempted to do it. Let's be honest. I'm, right. Okay, that that was the thing. Is what is it? What is it about the forbidden knowledge that we desire so much? Like, uh, God says, don't consult these things. But what is it about these the forbidden knowledge? Like, usually it's to do with the future. Yes. And I remember Shimshon pointing it out once. You can't change the future, so why you want to know about it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's this um, folk tales music from France that um, talks about. Um, whatever will be, will be. The future is not for us to know. Um, I think just like um, Kate mentioned, we always desire to know the future. But if you go to Genesis and you see how the how Satan was able to get Adam and Eve to do exactly that, was that he told them you will be like God. But they were already made in the image of God. 
so it's, you know, wanting to be like God. And you see the same thing with Nimrod and his, um, his, his carcass. They wanted to be like God. You know, they want to go to the heavens, you know, and do the things. Even as, as Satan in, the, in Isaiah, he says that he wants to be like the most high. So I think it's just to be like God. We, we, we enjoy that power, to, to, to weld that power that, um, that's, that we become like God, you know. And those who are the, the necromancers, those that say that they can do this, that they have that power to yeah. speak to spirit, yes. are the very ones that we should be running far from. We should be running because they are the Absolutely. ones trying to lead us into that. Yeah. I've, I'm only learning this now, you know. This is amazing stuff. I, um, Andrew's got it uh, in the chat there uh, from South Africa. Forbidden. Perhaps we feel that God might be withholding something better from us. <laughs> and yeah. in all of the cases and examples that we've been talking about, particularly with the Garden of Eden, you know, Satan says, you'll be like gods, but they're already made in the image of God. It's a lie. He lies to us. There's something better waiting on the other side. It's a lie. The, God's already with you here. His spirit is here. He's leaving heaven to come and be with you. I mean, he'll journey with you to the world to come. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting that we succumb to that lie. If I could add something really simple, it's kind of simplified, but when I think about people who are dabbling in the occult, usually, it, it, well, ex exactly it's a rebellion, but it sure. really is a power issue um, that they would have power over anything around them because I know um, when people really get active in it, they do a lot of damage to other people as well, and it becomes a, a, a kind of a power thing. So it's, so it's, it, it's directly re uh, rebelling against God thing that uh, we, they literally, like you say, they become God and they have the power. We've got uh, three more hands raised. Um, and uh, so Yvonne, Brazil, and then London. What, going back to the holiness issue. Okay. Um, it's, it's interesting, uh, 7 and 8, verse 7 and 8, it makes it clear that they're, that the Israelites are supposed to live in a holy manner by following the, the Lord's decrees. Um, they belong to the Lord who set them apart. And I think, you know, the command, you, you will live in a holy manner and be so holy. And the rationale is because I am the Lord, your God. And then again, he says, you will keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who sets you apart to live in a holy manner. So it's very interesting. It is... Um, so by, you know, the same, same idea of, of Samson is uh, we are to be set apart in following his decrees. And it reminds me of at Mount Sinai with the Israelites, he said, uh, verse five, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and if you will keep my commandments, then you shall be my treasured possession among the, all the people of the earth. For the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So it's this, if you will indeed obey my voice, then you will be a holy nation. So it's, it's very much this concept of um, the idea of, of, you know, Kadosh, right? It's, it's being set apart and um, we're set apart by following the Lord. And, and conditional statements, which gospel do conditional statements appear in the most? Anyone remember? Gospel of John. Gospel of John has lots of, if you do this, then that. If you remain in me, then I'll remain in you, right? You know, you know um, uh, if you love me, then I'll love you and we'll come and make our home with you. 
you keep my commandments, then you know the Lord will do this. They're, in, Deuteronomy a lot also. Deuteronomy, yes, but John John obviously has a good, strong Jewish tradition for 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 conditional state that that involve and invoke the idea of partnership. We're walking out this walk with the Lord, um, as we were discussing in the sermon on 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 uh, on Sunday. Angels appear, but they don't share the gospel. They make the arrangements, and we partake in the in the sharing of, of faith, which is an incredible privilege and a scary burden at exactly the same. It's interesting, and no, now going to the faith issue with the with the. And it's interesting in Romans, we're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's in one chapter. And then in another chapter, he will render to each one according to his work. So you see, it's, it is the, um, it's exactly, and that's like literally one. Yeah, it's just one chapter. I mean, it's just like right there next to each other. It's, it's exactly that partnership. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the Jewish world, they live with these tensions quite a, a little bit better than we do. Yeah. More linear world. Um, not always, but definitely better. Okay, so uh, Teresa, London, I'll go on to you. Thank you. I was just going to mention that bit briefly and then say something else, and that is that I was thinking of the whole idea of it being both and. You know, we make a choice to be obedient because we're called to be obedient, but at the same time, you know, so in a sense we, to some extent, we, we don't sanctify ourselves in the same in the sense of having the power but God sanctifies us because we are obedient. And I think it's that Hebraic tension again. That, that's what I wanted to contribute there. And just a small point over the issue, why would you seek to go elsewhere? I think a lot of people possibly, I don't know because I haven't been involved in it, but a lot of people will be tempted to go to spiritualists to call up the dead because they can't deal with their own grief. And they want to see the person who's died, whoever it is. And they want that reassurance that they're still around or something. I don't know exactly, obviously, because I I don't know people who've done it. But I think there is something about needing that kind of reassurance and being motivated by pain. And the other thing is, you know, when you go to, well, I had a friend once many, many, many years ago when I was still at school who went to a fortune teller. I couldn't believe it. She was very badly affected after that, actually. But I think that it's about trying. It's when you have no confidence in the future. And I think if you don't have enough trust, you may believe in God and may have, have you know, you may have a faith that's a, a, a kosher, shall we say, faith. But how much do you really trust him? Or do you want to just have a little look or a little reassurance that, you know, it's going to be OK? And I, I think that can be part of it as well. I mean, it's complex, isn't it? But sure. uh, yeah, so that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Thank you. The Hebrew for that sentence, chapter uh, verse six is interesting. It says the nefesh, the soul that wants to go. And it, and it uses the word for the, so some translations will say um, familiar spirits. Is that what some translations have? Yeah, because um, it uses the word the avot, okay? You know, um, in Hebrew, I'll, I'll just have a little read. So, nefesh asher tifnei el ha'avot, the, the soul that goes after or turns after the avot, the, uh, literally the fathers, but 
is um, it means that they, these these dead people are very familiar, right? You know, like um, uh, Saul wanting to summon up Samuel, right? Doesn't don't just find me anybody, but find me someone who I'm familiar with. Sort of like as you were saying, perhaps the assurance and comfort of seeing a loved one. Why would you want to do something? And then the the other word that they use has the shorish of knowers. They want to know. There is this idea of a forbidden knowledge that I'm unsure, I lack trust in this world, so I'll find it in the other world. But again, it's all a lie. And, uh, and the Lord tells us not to do such a thing. In fact, his warning is, I will set my face against that person, which is exactly the same expression about um, chasing after this molech, and, uh, which is you know, heaven forbid that we ever would want God to turn his face against us. Because what's actually the ironic blessing? What's the blessing that you want to say that's so positive? May the Lord do something with his face. What is it? Yeah. Set his face upon you. Upon you. You want, you want the positive side of God. You want God to look at you, smile, shine his love directly towards you. What you don't want is you don't want his countenance to change and become angry and disappointed. And like, well, that's it. I'm, that's not the right thing. So now I'm paying a bit more attention to you, Aaron. Uh, I would rather have the peaceful side of the Lord's face, please. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me let me have a check. So the question is: Is it Saul the second time? Yes, it's uh, Nefesh the second time. Um, we are reading seven, right? Sorry. Yes, correct. Yes, six and seven. So the um, the in Genesis when it says God, God makes man Adam alive, it says and he became a Nefesh, he became a soul. And we see those things carry through uh, strongly in the Bible. <clears throat> um, so we are the part of us that actually stays alive. The body, this flesh eventually, corruption falls away and the soul remains. That's, that's, uh, that's why we have this uh, Anglican communion, they add the water in the wine, right? Why, why do we? Yeah. Yeah, we do that actually to signify water and blood. That when they stabbed Jesus, there was water and blood. Ah, because Father Dale told me that like he's he's basically symbolizing the the spirit of Messiah coming back, something like that. Really? Wow. Maybe I'm mistaken, so I don't know. Okay. I haven't heard that one. Anyway, um, Vida or David, hand raised. And then to you, Sharon. Aaron, I was just thinking we should probably also clarify when, when we're talking about these, these spirits and what the Lord says we shouldn't be doing, that the other side that, that, that is okay with the Lord God is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, we have the prophetic gift uh, where you can prophesy according to what the Holy Spirit allows you to do, etc., like that. And, and, and that is the okay part. That, that is what the Lord doesn't mind. It's, it's, it's this other stuff. So... But we can't equate the two because they're so vastly different. Yeah, excellently, excellent point. Because this leads to the call that we see, the ability to discern. Can we discern against the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of God himself? Or can we not discern and we end up chasing after false spirits? Well, not false spirits, but wrong spirits, bad spirits, the, the spirits that give you not, not even false information, but true information in a wrong way. Okay? Like um, Samuel, when Samuel rose from the dead, well, he was summoned back from the dead, 
he becomes the only prophet to make a prophecy after he's dead, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, and he prophesies to Saul, to, to, to Saul, you're going to go out tomorrow and lose and die. Right? Um, okay? That's actually true. That wasn't false. But the whole, whole encounter was still wrong. So we have, we have to remember that it's, it's a real power, but it's forbidden to us. It's, uh, can we be content with the assurance that Jesus has already given us? Well, that's, that's a good question. Sharon. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that's a really good thought. And I, I, following up, too, with that Moloch idea, I think the whole concept is that when we have God and we follow God and we walk with God, then, you know, everything benefits all our relationships, our whole world benefits, right? But when people don't know God and have that intimate knowledge of him, it, it's so normal to kind of sacrifice your kids, you know, to, to give them, you know, to the fire, even there's other places that talk about that in general, not just to Moloch and then in the scriptures. And just the whole concept that people are so, um, you know, they're, they're lost without God's wisdom and knowledge and spirit leading and guiding them, right? They make you know, selfish decisions, I guess, ultimately, right? And just trying to find another God, for example, you know, but I was just going to get back to what you were saying, too. And, and what um, Aaron and both of you guys had said, it was a really good point that I think it's hard to wait for God to trust God, and not to take things into your own hands. That was the only thing I wanted to make the comment about that. But on the topic of being good and obeying, like, I think what it is, is there's two different issues going on, right? So positionally, when we receive Christ, it's like Peter, you know, was saying to Jesus, you know, wash all of me, you know, and he said, no, no, you've already had your bath in the sense that you've been accepted and loved by me. And then you obey out of love. It's not to receive acceptance from God. I think that's the key. Yeah, I think we're all been trying to say roughly the same thing. However, I'm about to go into verse seven, which will just turn everything upside down. And why is that? Because it says in verse seven, Consecrate yourselves, says the Lord. This is God speaking, not consecrate yourselves, but I bet you can't do it. This is consecrate yourselves. Um, and therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God of holy. So what does it mean? How, how is this possible for a human? It's followed very closely by verse 8. You know, so God says, you consecrate yourselves. Oh, by the way, I make you holy. Like, oh, this is fantastic. Talk about tension. Um, and I guess in a nice Hebraic way, they thrive on it. Is this a beautiful idea is that somehow we participate even though it's the Lord's work. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And um, Absolutely. It's, it's, the, it's the balance of the partnership you just talked about, you know, Aaron. Um, there, is, there is no way you can, you can take anything in the spirit realm without, um, you know, appropriating it, you know. We cannot say, okay, it's done it for me and I want to claim it and uh, I just live my life, but I'm claiming it. No, you got to participate in it. And um, that's the balance of the, of the partnership. Yeah, very beautiful. But, but one doesn't negate the other, guys. So like, it's two different things, don't you think? So it's, in other words, so God already accepts you and makes you acceptable to him. But then you obey. Like back then it was like you had to obey to be accepted, right? By following the law. But through Christ now, no, I don't know. We still have to obey. No, Sharon. The Jewish people, the Jewish people were brought out of Egypt not because they obeyed Torah. No, God saved them. But I'm saying in general, the principle was that when you obeyed the words of God, then you received the blessing. Yes, and that's even true to this day. Yes. 
Yeah. So it, what what we've done is we we keep in keep trying to separate God into different modes of of action. It's the same one. He gets saves his people before he gives them the Torah. Then he introduces himself and gives them the Torah. By the way, Gentiles were there too. Remember, wasn't just wasn't just Israel at Mount Sinai. It was everybody who came out of Egypt. And uh, and, and he says, and you'll be a, a kingdom of priests, a holy people. Now here's how a holy people live. And if so you obey, yeah, right. But that's the same way. God's name is holy. You and I can make it unholy. But we can't fall out of God's hands in Christ, so I don't think. Ah, that's one saved, always saved. That's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, and yeah, Shimshon smiling, going, "Don't do it, Aaron. Don't go there." <laughs> Did you say, Aaron, that you could make God unholy? We can desecrate the spaces. That's why Yom Kippur, because it keeps getting desecrated, and at some point they have to do an annual cleaning up, or the thing will go nuts. Um, it's something interesting about the holiness uh, again, you know, they're, they're in the Exodus. It's, it's a conditional. If you obey, then you'll be a holy nation. You'll go into the land. And then if, <clears throat> and so in the land, they have to conduct themselves in a holy manner. And <clears throat> at the end of the chapter, he talks about that. If you shall keep my statutes and my rules, then you can live in the land. If not, I'll vomit you out like the rest of the Canaanite nations that did not, um, follow and and uh, and so he it's always about it's just this you know I'll, I'll let you stay in there the land is holy and here to be holy and you're going to be a separated people but if you don't uh then you're out and i'll spit you out and um and then he also talks about the you know to distinguish between the the uh the clean and unclean but it's just it's, it's just the distinctions that it's the separated out and it has all to do with obedience to his commands. Correct. Obedience is a key. And as so many times I've said before, and I'll keep just saying it again, we have a king and you just obey kings for the sheer fact that he's a king and he's the best of kings. This is a king that washes feet. This is a king that leaves his glory. This is a king that loves unconditionally and, uh, and gives us an incredible role model to follow and then also shares his spirit to help us. It's a uh, work out your salvation, isn't it, Yvonne? With fear and trembling, it's work it out. All right, uh, Peter and David. Yes, Aaron, I'm following up with what you're saying here. Is uh, it just suddenly occurred to me, or well, not occurred to me? Of course, the Old Testament uh, keeps telling us that the Lord God says, "I have chosen you, Israel. I've set you up. I picked you up and I lifted you up throughout the whole Old Testament." Lord Jesus says. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, right? So here we have our Father in heaven. We have Lord Jesus saying, I pulled you apart. Now I am sanctifying you. Now you've got to sanctify yourselves. And yet if I'm correct, uh, all, uh, all the Israelites except Joshua and Caleb fell in the desert because of lack of faith, right? And yet the Lord God says, I have chosen you. So something's going down here where... Our part to play is essential, where it says, I must walk in holiness. I must walk in righteousness because it's been given to me, and I must keep, as Shimshon says, we've got to keep this somehow, right? And as we walk in in Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and building us to that day to go to heaven or be with Lord Jesus. So, so what, what, what is the Lord saying where I have chosen you, you have not chosen me, mm -hmm. right? 
Yeah. And knowing this, that, you know, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not based on your ability to be good or anything either. Absolutely. That's why I'm saying that there's two different positions. Like, do you guys not think like it's positionally, you know what I mean? You're made right with God and then you obey Christ. But this is a side similar track. You know, it's not you don't do that to get this. You obey God because you are in him. It's, 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 it's maintenance of the relationship. The relationship is started by God and then you maintain the relationship. But Romans says that you come from, but that faith comes from, it's by faith from first to last and that he's the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Christ is the one who gives us faith. So in a sense, it's comforting to know that, you know, he's the one who makes us holy our whole lives through. Correct. It's not my behavior he, he makes us holy, but we have to sanctify ourselves. So Jesus makes me holy, but if I go visit prostitutes, I am no longer holy. Jesus still makes me holy, but I'm not holy. And I haven't, and, and then when I've come out of the prostitute parlor, broke and probably scratching myself in all the probably areas you're not supposed to fix yourself, um, uh, <laughs> then, then, um, then I've rubbed Jesus' name in the mud. Someone comes along and goes, hey, I know you. You're that guy from Christchurch, and, uh, and you're supposed to be a Christian. This is what following Jesus is like, and Jesus' name becomes unholy because of me. Somebody else down the street might be doing a good thing. Yeah. Right. You don't stop being his son, right? No. That's if I leave the – that doesn't stop me from being the son, but that doesn't stop me from either being receiving any consequences for my actions or making his name unholy, which is a consequence. Right. 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 The consequence now is that I've made God's name unholy and that has an effect on the people that are standing in front of me. We go, well, why would I want to believe in Jesus if that's what it's like? And so you've got to be really careful with our, how, we, how we treat uh, God's name. It's, it's in the Lord's Prayer, is it not? Very first thing, may your kingdom come and may your name be kept holy. Well, who's going to do that? If it's just up to him, why do you keep asking him to do it? He knows his name totally. There's a partnership, and that's the thing, partnership. I like what you've got in a comment, Jennifer, which says, of course, we don't want to listen to evil, evil spirits, but how about God's teachers? They're good people to listen to, pastors, evangelists, or prophets, and they are there for the gifts of edification, which, of course, then also begs which, which pastors are we listening to. There are the good ones? Absolutely. And hopefully we get a few good ones at Christchurch. But there are some that perhaps might not be so good, right, and um, who, who might proclaim a false gospel. Uh, what would it be like, you know? Um, yeah, uh, name Careful, don't name any names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know There's who, a lot out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Let's, let's all do sign language so no one can see. I'll hold up signs in front. You can all laugh at them. No, um, there, there are people, and I'm sure you could all recognize a few um, people, evangelists, televangelists, so to speak, who, um, you know, would like you to give millions of dollars so they can have a $32 million golf jet stream so they can go around the world and proclaim the gospel when they don't uh, at all. I wanted to go back. Um, one thing that, you know, he said, well, if I, if I go to this, if somebody sees me in this place that you talked about just a few minutes ago, Aaron, um, but, if, you know, no one born of God, this is 1 John, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
for God's right. seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So again, it's the practicing, it's the loving, and it's it's and, and, and it's, it's it's a practice of sin. we either practice sin or we practice righteousness and so it's it's so clear if you continue going to the brothels or continue right yeah. it's um our seed the seed is in us it's not yeah. that we don't i'm, sin, I'm just gonna make say, a confession i don't go to brothels <laughs> and, and no both. that example but where would you know whatever example whatever <laughs> and i've got people in this room looking at me like Chuck, I go, oh, you did what i did not <laughs> I'm glad you stopped, Darren. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I stopped. Thanks, Rocky. Practicing is what is, is absolutely right. As long as we don't see the practicing as, as our way to salvation. Totally. As Aaron, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And as Andrew mentioned, it was quite in the chat before, God has given us some very, very clear examples of, of holy activity, visiting the sick feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. And all of that, again, appears in Matthew 25, where he turned, Jesus turns around and says, who acted like me? You know, who gave me water when I was thirsty? Who gave me clothing when I was naked? And, uh, you know, these are very simple acts of holiness that reflect a holy people, a people that are actually saying, yes, the Lord's going to live in me and I'm going to act out this holy lifestyle. And, uh, and I'm going to do the things I've seen my master do as a, as a proper disciple in Jesus. Right? Uh, we're meant to reflect what we see our, our our master. We're meant to be like what is it? Christian little messiahs. We're meant to be little messiahs. Can I ask a question, Aaron? The question I have is, what about people that struggle with this? In, and let me give an example: that Martin Luther, who okay. yep. constantly sinned, and he would go in and do the flogging, <laughs> and he would go back again, and, and because really. I know the more close I get to God, the more unholy I feel, to be mm-hmm. honest, right. myself. I, I see all the things I do wrong, I recognize them. The Holy Spirit chastises me. And, yes, I come to that place. I, I repent. I ask God to forgive me. And I know whoever confesses sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we walk in that faith. But it can be a fine line for people who don't have that the, this, the, the word of God in them, they can feel so condemned all the time. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's the problem where you say we have to obey, we have to obey. We cannot obey. It's unachievable right now in this life to be as holy as God is. We can never achieve that. Right. And that's why I think Christ said, you know, like, I sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You're, you're not sanctified by your works, your behavior, but, but it's two different tracks. Sorry. And the truth shall make you free. I think we're confusing holiness with perfection. Yeah, I, I think we should yeah. try. We should try to achieve sanctification. It. Is, a, is a process, and nobody's going to attain full sanctification until Christ comes. Because when He comes, we will see Him and we'll be like Him. That's when anybody can achieve full sanctification. But right now, we'll continue to move towards perfection. We'll continue to grow towards perfection. And it doesn't mean that we will not fall sin, we will not fall short. Sometimes, yeah, um, in Proverbs, um, Solomon was saying, there is no righteous man that sinneth not. There is no righteous man that sinneth not. And so it's very obvious that we will make mistakes. But 
if you look at Hebrews 10, 10, 26, it says that if we deliberately, I mean, you are not talking about somebody that sins and is remorse. I mean, it's just out, it's going to do what he wants to do and he's not feeling bad and he goes to eat the next day, he's doing his drugs, he's doing his um, prostitutions and everything. At that person, there is, no, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no sanctification for that person. And um, if we look at that verse that, um, you know, that we're talking about, you say you should sanctify yourself. Then verse 8 answers it. It tells us how we achieve that sanctification. And um, I know we just want to read it, but um, when we read it, you will see that it was answering this um, text, how we can achieve this sanctification. Amen. Yep. Amen. I agree. So it's very important to know the word of God and the promises of God because the, the, the word of God is constantly teaching us right from wrong to divide the word of truth correctly so we really understand what's profane and what's holy. And as we get to know more of the word of God, God is cleansing that from us and the power of the Holy Spirit is helping us to overcome the flesh. And as Christians, we should be, even if it's a very slow process, in my view, we should be seeing over time a change towards holiness. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's how we know we are children of God, in, in, in my view. It doesn't have to be a, 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 an immediate, oh, I'm suddenly holy. But we see that when you look back at the things you did a year ago, you're no longer doing them as much or, or doing right. them. Am I a better disciple today than I was five years ago? It's a, it's a process. Even God said to Isaac, your father Abraham kept all my Torahs. Well, how, do you, how could he do such a thing? You know? and, uh, and so obedience is part of the process. It itself is not the whole process. It's part of the partnership. It's our way of uh, expressing. And it's something that we just continue to do uh, time and time again um, as we continue to run the race, not sit under a tree. Let, let me just um, help us with this um, analogy. What we're doing right now is part of sanctification. We have been sanctified by this study. We have been sanctified. As we are studying, we are all being sanctified. So sanctification has a lot of things that we're doing, but subconsciously we don't really know. That the presence of some people you're in, you get sanctified, you know, um, Paul was talking about the husband sanctifying the, husband, the wife and the wife sanctifying the husband. You get to some people's presence in some people's company, you feel sanctified. I mean, you feel, you feel that energy there and you go and you feel good. And so what we're doing here today is we are getting sanctified also. Mm. Indeed. Thanks for the uh, verse there, Vitek. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's something we strive for that we, we, we endeavor to with the spirit called by God, started by the Lord, partnership. Okay, guys, here we are. Um, uh, as Jesus got verse 8, keep my statutes and do them. This is the obedience bit. You actually physically do good stuff. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who makes you holy. Okay, Doing good deeds. Doesn't get you into heaven. Nowhere does this say, thou shalt now be saved and in heaven. You're already saved. You've got out of Egypt. You've got, got God living with you in the, in the tabernacle. You've already got all this stuff. God is still saying, do what I say. God never says, don't do what I say. And nowhere, nowhere should we ever, ever say that. Interestingly enough, 
out of all the commandments we could now reiterate with being holy and, uh, and, uh, and being made holy by God, God turns around and says, anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Oof. Okay. And curse uh, anyone who has cursed his father or mother, his blood is upon him. Now, why do you think that the breakdown of families was so intrinsic for Israel that God would put in a death penalty? I mean, obviously, we'll do it right now. But what do you think is the danger that this fledgling state of Israel as a light to the nations? Uh, Mordecai had a hand raised there for a brief moment. <laughs> I'll get to you in a second, but Sharon, you're next. But that's the question I'd like to wrestle with. God is going to bring his people into the land. He wants them to be a holy people. And there was something incredibly dangerous that would, if the family unit broke down, that God... As part of the story, it says, listen, this one, this, this one has a death penalty attached to it. All right, Sharon, go for it. couple of teenagers, well, three kids, okay? I think it's a question of motivation because, you know, like the stark, you know, you'll be put to death if you disobey your parent, you know, you don't respect your parents. I mean, what, you know, how does a kid, how do you motivate a kid? Like if you were in a community, okay. And you saw one kid killed because they didn't listen to their mother and father. I mean, that would certainly motivate me to obey my parents. Oh, we, we kind of say it sometimes today. You can have the car keys, but if you crash the car, I'll kill you. You know, it's like, wow. Thanks dad. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You know, uh, it's uh we did, you're right. Maybe it's the motivation. We'll see. But there's something about the fabric of the family which God really wanted to keep together, which he decided was dangerous if we pulled it apart. Okay. Um, uh, Vita, David, and then Moti? Uh, yes. Aaron, uh, I was thinking what seems to be so important to the Lord from Eden is the idea of marriage, the sanctity of marriage, right? Okay. Lord Jesus is married to the church. Uh, we have husband and wife. The wife, uh, husband sanctifies the wife. Uh, Lord Jesus sanctifies the, the family. Lord Jesus sanctifies the church. Lord Jesus, and it's about honor. Uh, uh, honor as it is with children to the parents. It's about keeping that honor going. And so because if this whole honor system breaks down, this whole, uh, what's the word, Re reverence breaks down, so it'll break down to the Lord God. And eventually we'll start cursing, you know, people will start turning away from the Lord God. That's... Uh, that, that's how I would see that. It's it's yeah. Eventually, old, yeah, eventually you have North America. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, okay. I remember very strongly from all the stages from from the Old Testament. The Lord God would always say, uh, "The children must keep telling your children to remember to do all these things. Otherwise, things are going to be forgotten." And you always remind us, Aaron, that the most common command throughout the whole Bible is remember. Remember. Yeah. So. I think it's the Lord is so aware that in our fallen state, we will simply forget and move away into darkness. Mm. All right. I got a, quite a few notes there on the sanctity of the family unit. Um, Mordecai, you have a hand raised. Yeah, again, I think I said this last week too, but we, if you don't obey your father and mother, how could you obey to your heavenly father? Because this heavenly father thing is a very Jewish thing. It's not an invention that was later invaded. We always have this Avinu Malkinu, our father, our king. So if you put this higher authority that you need to submit yourself, you start doing it in your family. And that penalty is it's too much, right, by stoning. But it's basically 
emphasizes it and also shows how important that commandment was because it's like a chain. It starts from you, I mean, with you, sorry, goes with your parents, your wife, your community, because we have community laws too, all the way to Hashem. So if one chain is broken, that's it. It's over. But then the death penalty. That's how you become holy, because he's so holy. We are not talking about just a holy thing, but he's so holy that one wants us to take the steps. That's, that's, that's why we, in Hasidic Judaism, we believe that we were able to see him in the Gan Eden, but then we fell down, but through our Ramavinu and our Seinu, and we continue all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu, and then of course Yeshua Mashiach, he brought us back to that level, finally. Adding on to what Mahdi said, um, because our because our, our human parents are the ones that they, of course, through God, physically created us, they are in a sense the creator, they created us. God is the ultimate creator, but He's given, you know, the, the man and the wife, uh, the, the parents to also have this creative spirit in bringing the child forth. So it's it's like a sub-creatorship. And it's interesting, if you can't do the heavenly, then how could you do the spiritual creator? Yeah, yeah. but Madi, I don't know if death is too much, Madi, because the thing is, what's the alternative if you let it go the other way? Anarchy, right? Like all heck breaks loose in your society because you don't have order and, you know, respect and leadership. Order, they, stoned them. they stoned them to kill, by the way. It's a commentary from Rashi. How they kill them? You take your arrow and... No, you stone them. So. Yeah. Well, what's an alternative? I don't know. I never stone anybody. I'm really thankful about that. <laughs> but you experience a little... <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine doing it. I'm just saying, but then you're saying like, Marty, like in a way you're sort of saying like, God, okay, this is too much to say death. But I mean, in a way, the concept is like human nature and sin is so bad and so evil, but it, like, I, I totally agree with you in theory that it seems extreme, but not at all knowing that this is our God and we have to obey him and he must have this figured out. And he probably seems to know human nature pretty good because how do you restrain otherwise? Eh? Well, this, this, um, we're looking at a society that's being set up and the family unit is the uh, core of the, of the functioning society. And if that family unit breaks down, as you commented on our Western culture, which is unfortunately so true, um, how could Israel shine its light if the family unit had broken down, then society would break down. And so this one thing that was so important was the honor, honor father and mother, which in the Ten Commandments comes with a promise of blessing, which in the, in the, in the words of Kal Bechome, which is exactly what Mordecai is talking about, from the lighter to the heavier, if you can't be bothered to obey your earthly father, you certainly won't be bothered to obey your heavenly father. And if you don't obey your heavenly father, shows over sunshine. You'll reject him, you'll reject his love, You'll reject his grace and mercy, and you won't like the result. And, and Aaron, coming back to Sh what Sharon's just said, uh, that it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem that harsh uh, to, to kill the children because of disobedience, but then how then does the father view us as his children today in disobedience, right? And, and I would say that, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, we are not blitzed because of disobedience at this point. Right, exactly. 
Okay, Shimshon, uh, looking at the time, you got the hand raised? Yeah, um, you know, from um, Leviticus 19 to 20, you see a lot of um, repetition of the um, Ten Commandments. And uh, every time you look at um, the references, it's always good to go uh, back and look at it, you know, just like you mentioned. When you look at them um, in Exodus 20, it says that honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long. And it comes here and it tells you, if you insult your father and your mother, you'll be killed. So it's actually saying the same thing, but of course, you know, just putting it um, in more graphical um, way and uh, it looks harsh, but it's actually the same thing that has been told to these people in the earlier times in, in the Exodus. So um, it's just bringing to their mind again and giving it a, some flesh so that they can understand how serious that um, law is. Cool. All right. Any other comments on, um, okay, go, go Kate, Scotland. Speaks. Yeah, I was just thinking, stoning, one person can't stone one person. So if you are saying that a child should be stoned to death, the community would be stoning that child to death. Correct. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it takes a lot of people to drive someone off a cliff and, and kill them that way. So it's, it's, it's taking it out of the hands of the parents and putting it into the hands of the community. Yes, a lot, correct, a lot of the, the punishments um, against the community are acted out by the community. And as we mentioned last week, if we tolerate it, then God himself will set his face. And, uh, and, and I remember, and Dan was the guy who brought us, who reminded us from Revelation that we still tolerate Jezebel for some, for some silly reason. But um, it's, a, it's a community action and um, and and horrible as it is, but poignant in the effect that um, it's, a, it's a, com a complete breakdown of society when, um, I mean, who can God live with if the society breaks down? It's quite a pivotal command, uh, uh, actually. Yes, um, just to, to add to it, um, when you talk about the community here, that means he's talking about a judicial process. In other words, people don't just do kangaroo justice in, on the street. You know, you just see somebody and start pelleting the person with stone. And if it's going to involve the community, that means there's going to be a judge that is going to sit and hear, okay, did this man really commit this crime? Because later on, you'll see that no one is to be put to death on, the, on just one witness. Right. And so that you understand that there is a judicial system. You don't just go and you start pelleting anybody. They need to listen to all sides and they finally they agree, okay, it's really committed this crime that needs um, this capital judgment. Yeah. And as we've mentioned before in Leviticus, part of the judiciary is the priesthood, which means that the, the spirit, God himself, is part of the judiciary and punishment is enacted immediately. You know, uh, one of our problems in our culture today is we delay punishment for so long, right? Um, and we take so long to actually enact a punishment that the actual strength of the punishment becomes worthless. Uh, and uh, whereas in the in the ancient lands, and Israel's not uh, unique on this. Other cultures did this exactly the same. You went to court. You got in trouble, and then your punishment was immediate, right? You know, languish in prison until you rot, like our poor friend uh, you know, Joseph, or take him out and kill them, or flog them and draft them into the army. You know, all kinds of you know, uh, punishments, and the Bible was the same. Immediate, 
get it done and uh, and move on with with the community don't waste time because you don't have the time to waste uh Vida or david yes aaron i was I, I was i was just viewing these verses again and this this verse uh verse nine for everyone that curses his father or mother this goes back into verse uh where, where we're speaking about necromancing or familiar spirits this whole thing is actually not so much about disobedience or obedience, but actually cursing. Okay. Is it not, or am I misreading this? So, so maybe what, what the Lord is saying here is if you're following suit and you, you're messing with familiar spirits or you, you're going into the occult and you're moving into that area where you curse your parents, this is definitely forbidden. So am I, or am I off track here? Uh, I, think, I think you're a little bit off track, but, um, but what about other people? Do they see what the connection is making? Well, one part, yeah, one part of cursing, but the first part is just following, following them instead of trusting God, right? Follow, I'm sorry, in verse um, six, right? Following the spirits or what they say. Instead. Right. Well, they, I, I think I'm, I'm wondering whether are you, David, linking into the, the idea of the familiar spirits, the avot, which is the word there, uh, which is actually fathers, parents. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, then, and then you get this cursing your father. Yes. Um, and maybe there is a connection there because there is actually a connection in the Hebrew that's true. Um, and maybe there is something to explore. Is that as in something like in a perpetual shame, you've cursed them, you've brought shame on them, which they can't, they can't put right because it's your shame. Ah, okay. So you're not talking yet. Yeah. I mean, curses come in lots of different forms. One would yeah. be a direct you know, curse. One would be bringing shame on the family, which in this culture, as people know in the Middle East, shame and honour is a really big deal. And uh, shaming and honouring your uh, family and family name uh, has inc incredible consequences uh, in, the, in, this, in these lands to this day. Um, we in the West tend to uh, ignore honour. We have... It's not really a quality that we value anymore, um, which is a bit sad because we still use it in, in our language. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. If you ask people, yeah, what do you mean by honor? I'm sorry, I said it. I should have said something else. I'm just so happy to be here. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. We, we've, we've really forgotten honor, which I think is a bit of a, uh, a loss in our society. Um, anyway, any other comments on? Mediums, witches, warlocks, uh, the de deceased parents, ancestor worship in China, uh, or uh, or cursing your mother and father. Because uh, I, I won't, we won't continue on with sexual sins this week. Because there's so many of them, um, but we'll pick them up next week. But thank you, brothers and sisters, for a very good in-depth discussion and wrestling with holiness partnership walking out our salvation with fear and trembling, looking, being called to be holy at the same time it is God that sanctifies us and makes us holy. Uh, and then the idea that us keeping things holy, keeping the Sabbath holy, keeping God's name holy, keeping the people of God holy. There's another one for us. It's a community aspect. So brothers and sisters, family and friends, thanks for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening. 
Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King.